Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, April 12th, 2021. On our podcast today, I'm joined by Adi Heyman to discuss empowerment through modesty. Adi is a powerhouse. She is a social media sensation, a community activist, and a writer. There's a good chance you already follow her, but if you don't, I highly recommend looking her up. She has a fascinating story and a very thoughtful and meaningful take on life. I'm really fortunate she agreed to come on the podcast to talk about the idea of empowerment through modesty, what that means, as well as a host of other topics. I think you're going to really enjoy listening to her. On Thursday, we're going to have a high-risk birth story with Melanie Kuhl to talk about twins with the gestational carrier and the great town of Milwaukee. For those of you starting Ramadan this week, I hope you have a meaningful month of worship. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Adi Heyman, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. So nice to talk to you. Good to be here. Such an honor. <laughs> thank you so much. So, you're a lot of things. You are a social media sensation. You are a stylist. You're a journalist. You're an activist. You're a wife and a mother. What do you do professionally? My primary focus um, within the fashion industry is I do creative direction and I do um, creative strategy kind of behind the scenes with brands, particularly in the social digital space, creating community around things. Having been in the industry for so many years, over a decade, I am a strategic thinker. I have a lot of experience in the space, I guess, because I started before my blog originally um, launched before Instagram. And then I've kind of ridden that. And I don't know, it's something that it was always a really natural fit, aligning my own brand when I had one, whether it was the blog or whether it was, you know, the modest fashion, all of that with um, community, give back goodwill. And nowadays, I think a lot of brands and even personalities are looking to create a really transparent, really authentic, aligned um, message to the following. And, you know, within that create community, but also the awareness of give back goodwill, you know, and but done in a really authentic way that resonates and creates impact and kind of pushes the needle in different spaces. So I, I work as a strategist behind the scenes with friends and I, I love doing that. For me, it's always, you know, where are we going and how do we get there? And then achieving that goal with people and being the believer and, you know, the creative that can really support that is super inspiring for me. And also um, I like the quick turnover, different clients. I, I like to jump around like that and put my energy in different spaces. Community-wise, um, I stayed really present on my Instagram. I mean, I don't post all the time, but I, I do keep it active and I'm, I do share my voice. Primarily, that is focused in my own community and it, it spans outside the Jewish realm, but I do feel I am a voice for, you know, Jewish women and fashion professionals and activists, you know, whatever it may be that I have been a representation for that in the past and in the press. And I, I feel that responsibility, but I also see it as an opportunity. So in that space, I guess, influencer, you know, I, I, I like I said, I continue to share my voice. I do podcasts like this because I think it's important. And I'm, I converted to Judaism. I'm a big advocate of our religion. 
and I think it's I think it's great. <laughs> and so for me, it's you know we we we're to be a light, and I I love to share that positivity or the things that inspire me, and I feel are important with others. Yeah, there, there there's so much there to unpack, and I I just think it's fascinating, and that's why I'm so happy to talk to you because. I just find who you are and what you do so interesting because, you know, on the one hand, for example, like the thing that just sort of stares me in the face is you have this immense popularity. I mean, there's like 50,000 people who follow you on Instagram, but you're not a traditional, what we call influencer, you know, professionally. I mean, you do have influence, so I guess you are an influencer, but it's not your career where you sort of place brands for people, correct? Right. My my Instagram is a personal account. I am not paid or I don't accept any sponsorship or post. It's not even a I mean in my byline, I think even my description it says non-sponsored content. So anything I'm sharing is just my own, whether it be passion, whether it be purpose or personal style. It's 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 not. It's just my own endorsement or encouragement or inspiration. So no, it's not I'm not, I would say, what is the 2020 version of an influencer, but I did start a blog back in 2010 before, you know, the Instagram influencer. And I, I, that kind of my work, of course, came over to Instagram and a lot of my content was shared via Instagram, which is invaluable. And so I think in that sense, I probably started out as what the original influencer was because I was kind of a disruptor. I was in the fashion industry, yet I, <laughs> I said, like that. <laughs> I'm going to start my own blog. I'm going to do it my way. I want to focus it through the lens of Judaism, which is my personal religion, but I don't want to sacrifice my industry know-how or the level of content creation. I want to stand with an industry and earn a seat at the table, but I want to do it on my own terms. And I, I want to be empowered by my life choices and not defined by them. And that was always my message in fashion. I dress modestly. I wear a wig. I converted to Orthodox Judaism. So I'm hugely empowered by that. And um, I kind of shifted that energy to fashion and creating and filling a void of white space. And I was probably the first, I would say, definitely, you know, the first Orthodox Jewish woman in the industry that stood up and kind of took authority of that and then didn't compromise, but also created a community around that and a blog and gave other women opportunity to flourish in the space without, again, compromising or feeling like their Judaism didn't have a place in that. I don't lead, you know, going to fashion week saying I'm modest, but it is who I am. And I'm and people know that about me. It's not something I shy away from. But I also don't think it makes me special because I dress modestly. You know, it's like it's for me, it's always a balance of craft industry you know hard work but also that alignment of purpose passion and my own lifestyle so it, it, for me it was easy it was a really nice synthesis and it was able to become a blog and profile by the new york times and like i said it was kind of the first of its its type so i guess i was an influencer on that stage more typical because there was paid content on my blog and it was a group of women you know we had subscribers all of that but now I, I I guess I'm an influencer, but I think I'm just old. I think I think I only have a You're a, bur- a burnt out influencer. <laughs> yeah, I'm like the old influencer, but right. I I see, like I said, a platform always as a gift and as an opportunity and very much a responsibility. Your message obviously 
resonates. And that, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because first of all, obviously, if there's that many people who are tuning in to hear what you have to say and what you have to post, you know, they find it valuable and meaningful. And so that's that alone is a reason why you're influencer. But also, I cannot begin to tell you how many people told me, oh, you have to have idea in your podcast. And I'm like, well, well, who is she? Right. I don't know. I, I, I'm like, I don't know anything about fashion. I'm the, I'm like literally the the antithesis of it. But, you know, my wife's like, oh, you have to have ID. My daughter's like, oh, you have to have her. And then, you know, I fortune Duche on the podcast. She's like, oh, you have to have ID. And then Elizabeth Savitsky's, oh, you have to have ID. And everyone's telling me to have you on the podcast because your story's so interesting. But it's not just because it's interesting. It's how impactful you have been for people by using your story, your journey, your passions, and putting them out there in a way that, Obviously, people listen to or they they love it. And so I wanted to talk about that to give our listeners a chance to hear who you are and what you do and how you came to where you are. So you have a very interesting personal journey. I know you get to ask this all the time, but how did you know a girl from Texas who was Christian end up being a modern Orthodox or an Orthodox Jew who's dressing modestly and wearing a wig and writing about this. That's that's quite a shift. Yeah. You know, for me, it's just my life journey, but it is, you know, I, there's a lot of curiosity around that. Rightfully so. You know, it's not typical for me. It's all I know. And sitting here at, you know, 39 years old, almost 38 years old, it, I, in retrospect, I see, you know, tremendous value in it, tremendous lessons. I mean, in, in a, living a life like that, where you do switch religions, the story is my parents, both very spiritual beings, raised us as Christians in Texas. My family comes from a very typical long line of Americans. You know, I have great uncles who played in Super Bowls. My father was a big athlete. My mom was the cheerleader. Um, her family's very affiliated with religious Christianity. A lot of pastors and preachers, her brother's a preacher, you know, so we grew up very God conscious, very all American. Um, we actually grew up in the country. I was homeschooled as a young child. So it was it was around animals. I didn't know anything about fashion. I didn't grow up knowing anything about New York. The it was I grew up very kind of in our own bubble in Texas and not I wouldn't say in a bad way, maybe more idyllic way, you know, just like it was animals and playing outside and wearing blue jeans and a ponytail type, you know, and homeschool and a lot of God. My parents, again, were very spiritual. So we were very, you know, God conscious and aware and went to church every Sunday and Bible schools. And then my parents' journey led them kind of through different sects of Christianity and eventually out of Christianity. And I think the motivation was, you know, this drive for truth. And the more they learned, the more questions they had. And, you know, that that religious journey. So it was, more, it was more of a search towards something than moving away from something else. Yeah, I, I think it was just the more affiliated and entrenched in Christianity they became. And my father was was not raised religious. He was raised very secular. When he married my mom, he right away, you know, became much more devout in his practice. And I think because my family has leaders in the church and in Christianity, that was, you know, my mom was like, Mar my mom and dad were Mary and Joseph in the Christmas play type of thing, you know, just by virtue that my grandparents were involved in the church. Again, my uncle was a preacher, my great uncle, you know, it was just kind of in the blood. And 
so my father, you know, they doing all these classes and eventually they probably thought would lead classes and at church, it, you know, had a lot of questions. And I guess he felt like these questions weren't being answered in a way that were, you know, f- was fulfilling him. And, and it's not, I think, a move away from what wasn't good. I think it was more, it didn't resonate, maybe. And he felt like this might not be the right fit for me. And so, you know, to go into, like I said, different sects of Christianity and then even into different religions outside of that and ultimately end up at Judaism. And we didn't even know Jewish, like practicing Jewish people existed. We thought they were like Bible people. We didn't like I didn't grow up knowing about Orthodox Jews. I didn't. I just didn't. It was it, hard to imagine now. Right. Yeah. Especially living in New York. Right. And, I mean, you're like, just, don't you see just, us in the airports and in Disney World? Like we're everywhere. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't grow up traveling like that. I, I probably would have thought costume or garb. I, I don't even I don't know what I would have thought. But I didn't like I said, I didn't grow up traveling like that. It was just a very much more of a quiet, you know, my, my grandfather's farmers, we grew, we grew up in a different world. So eventually Orthodox Judaism, and um, it happens to be in San Antonio, Texas, where I was born, there is an Orthodox synagogue, and there is a Rabbi Scheinberg who's known for his conversions, all Orthodox, and there's a Chabad there as well, um, that is amazing, and we kind of got in with the community, and they were like, you're crazy, you, you don't want to convert with four kids, and you know, like, no, no, no. And my parents were like, well, yes. So we just, we kind of started learning more, doing more. And eventually our whole family converted. How old were you at the time? 12. What did you, 12-year-old, think about this? Were you in? Were you like, yeah, this is awesome? Or like, what is going on here? No, I mean, it was it was a gradual transition. I think we we all, as a family, very much do have a spirituality and believe in God and a higher being. And, you know, this, that is our faith. And so Judaism is not that different to Christianity minus a few things, the old Testament. I mean, I knew by heart in English, the names of all the old Testament books, new Testament books, all the different Psalms. I mean, we were like, we, we got in and we were like, Oh, this is easy. You don't, you guys don't need to know any of the prophets after that time, or you don't have to know any of the new Testament scripture. We knew all of this. So and we just knew it in English and not Hebrew, but it was very similar. And I think my parents made a great decision in after we converted, moving to Miami Beach, Florida, which was a vibrant Jewish community. Like, um, ah, here's where they are. <laughs> yeah, you know, it offered education and opportunities and different options. Um, my siblings and I didn't all go to the same school, you know. And so Miami was a great move. We all we chose our own Hebrew names and we actually went and my parents had us legally change our names. So it's interesting to to choose to, I guess, have a choice in those things in your life. Yeah. What was your name before? Amber. Amber. And how'd, how'd you pick Adi? I mean, very simple. I picked up a Hebrew dictionary the milone the like blue and orange one and the little one and i looked at the hebrew transliteration of amber and it was like embar and adi was one of them because i guess the jewel and the sap and the gem and you know and i was just like adi i like it i like my initial i was like you know i don't know you're, you're kind of attached to your name that's your name so i i wanted to say a and i just chose a d and that was it so we moved to miami and that really they all said we were Jewish and like started wearing skirts and they didn't, we didn't really know Hebrew. So that was interesting what you find out in retrospect. But um, 
we, you know, we streamlined. I went to Hebrew Academy. I learned to read. I learned Navi Chomesh. I jumped in, made good friends. Like I said, a great community, restaurants. It was, it was a, you know, it was a modern Judaism that it was an easy Judaism based on an out of town Judaism where you don't have all that support. From there, I just went to Israel after high school. I went to Darche Bina and then to Turo College and then came to New York and went to college. And then I met my husband and I married an Orthodox Jew and kind of, that's been, that's been the road. <laughs> you went to the mothership. I love New York. I mean, I love Jewish New York, but I love New York, New York. Yeah, and you're in fashion also. Well, I didn't major in fashion. You were a journalist first, right? I majored in journalism. I actually finished Toro really quickly in two years because mm-hmm. I ended up not getting credits from Israel. It was it was like a crazy year. So I, it was the year of, it was back in 2000, 2001, when there was like a lot of terrorist attacks and the Sabaros bombing and all that. So I ended up coming back in December, not going back. So I didn't get credit. So I ended up just going to Toro and like, doubling up on everything, finishing really quickly because I wanted to be in a Jewish, I was in the all-girls school here in Manhattan in that environment. And then I was set to go to Columbia for journalism. And then I ended up getting married and kind of everything shifted. And I, and so I, my passion was always writing and fashion I didn't really know that much about but to stay in New York my husband and I wanted to be here I needed to get a job and it happened to be the job I got was in fashion and it was such it was just kismet and it was serendipitous that it even fell in my lap because it it was my creative side really kind of connecting in with something I'd never experienced but I was just so welcome to immediately and I felt such such a part of and I loved it like not necessarily the the fashion of it as in brands and logos and you know all of that more commercial market but more the creative that is lent to whether it's the commercial market or the creative side or the direction or the writing it's just to me all of it made a lot of sense and I was good at it. So, I mean, I was going to segue into your, you know, professional journey, but you did it naturally, which is great. So uh, I see your, you know, your personal journey, your professional journey. And one of the things you're very well known for is this idea of empowerment, but through modesty. And how do you see that as, you know, maybe merging your, your personal journey with your professional journey that you're taking this concept of like modest dress, which is a, it's not only uh, an Orthodox Jewish concept, but it is prevalent there. But on top of that, this idea of, you know, fashion and empowerment and, you know, sort of self-esteem and putting those together, which a lot of people found really interesting and really new. How did you get into that? Well, for me, it was one and the same. I'm by nature the type of person that if I'm going to do something in my life, I actively choose it. I want to be an active participant in my life. I want to love my life. I want to stand accountable to my decisions. And, you know, I think a choice to be modest or an Orthodox Jew in adherence with laws of Shabbat, kosher, whatever it may be, I did not see those as confining. I saw them as life choices that were important to me that I felt like brought benefit to my life. So I didn't ever feel imprisoned by maybe the rules or the constraints or dictates they presented because it just created for me the life I believed in and aspired to and wanted to grow. And so my modesty was just a part of that. You know, you want to be in shape, you go to the gym, you want to 
eat clean, you, you have a certain diet, whatever it is that's important to you in your life. I think in general, people have to be willing to stand up and take ownership of that and, and actually find a positive empowerment in it. And so for my modesty, it was always that. I saw it as maybe different. I didn't see it as mainstream, but I never saw it as a negative. I actually found it really empowering within the industry because it gave me a really honed point of view. You know, when you walk into a store and you can wear anything on a rack or you sit at a runway and you could potentially get anything next season, it's like, wow, where do you fit into that space? But when you we when you create or your choices like modesty have created more scope for you and eliminated some choices, it gives you a stronger point of view. And I think that's a valuable lesson that extends into different areas of my life and profession. So my modesty, people began, you know, 10 years, you know, eight years into this job, people were noticing how I dressed and I was photographed quite often. I was voted in New York best dress, yet I never really led with modesty. I was just wearing the clothes I wanted to wear. And so a lot of Jewish people were like, you know, how are you doing this? How are you coming up with this? And I just was like, you know, there's so much out there and it's just a matter of kind of having your own distinct style and recognizing that and staying true to your individuality. And modesty was out there. It just wasn't being collectively shown. And that was the impetus for my blog, that it was a curation of this stuff kind of served to you on a platter. You know, if you want to see the runways of next fall, that's what my blog presented. It presented all this information in concise form, trend casting or, you know, informative articles on relevant topics in the fashion industry, but it all aligned with whether it was a photo used or the trend given, it was with a modest photo from whether it be a runway or a design or a link to a shop or whatever it may be. But for me, it was always in my head that way. It's just like, I just picked out what worked for me. I wore it. It empowered me and I loved it. I knew where I wanted to be. And therefore I really learned to love the process of getting there. And that was styling and that was figuring it out on my own and street style, you know, and kind of, and it was, it was a lot of fun, you know? And like I said, I think the industry was so receptive of the work I was doing and so encouraging that it, it really was that much more empowering to have that community around me. Do you think that the fact that you chose or your family chose you know a religion a certain place within that religion that you might view it differently from someone who was born into it so to speak i mean this idea that you're like it's empowering that i choose to dress modestly do you think that that's influenced by the fact that you essentially chose to enter that world originally i do but i don't think it should be but i do right i mean it may just be easier for you having grown up in a different religion, having seen the world in a very different way. And it's not a bad world. It's a different world. It's a different choice. And knowing you don't have to fully identify with your decisions. You can change. Knowing you can be open to possibilities and that creates an expansive world. And in not only learning that, but living that and knowing that as my childhood, I do not live imprisoned by many things in my own life. I do not have a lot of anxiety, a lot of fears. I really think if anybody else is doing it, if a D. Heyman wanted to do it, if I feel like I had the skill set and, you know, I was willing to do the work, I could probably do it because we're all just humans. And I think my faith gives me a lot of that confidence because I, I'm a hard worker, but I always at a certain point give it to Hashem or God or universe, however people want to, you know, for me it's Hashem. But so I think I live in a very like I said, expansive mindset where I'm, 
I'm just constantly aware that the sky's the limit and it's okay to pivot and it's okay. It's actually essential to pivot, but it's okay to say why or how, or to be curious by nature. I'm extremely curious. I'm just intrigued. I love, I love other humans. You know, you mentioned like everybody was saying, you got to interview a D. If you ask me why so many people said you've got to interview a D is because behind the scenes, I work and build a community with a lot of people and I give my heart and soul to them. I'm a big believer in other humans. And even my blog, I, t- I took it right away from being just a platform where, you know, a D. Heyman's a blogger to saying, how do I create a foundation for other women to stand on? And how do we aggregate this group that's empowered, but that helps one another and uplifts each other? You know, for me, it's, it's never competition. It's always collaboration. And, and so I don't know, you know, I just, I always, I'm curious and I'm always aware that I may not have all the answers, but I think they're out there. And when you have a genuine heart and authentic, you know, reason, Hashem will meet you. You'll get that, you know, no matter what religion you are. But for me, my faith is always kind of that tipping point of where I let go and having that trust that that frees me from a lot of worry and like I said, anxiety or, or not even trusting myself. Like, you know, you got to go with your intu- intuition. And I think for me, my intuition is tied into my spirituality. My purpose is tied into spirituality. That's all really aligned for me. And it's my North Star. My religion is. And that's why I think I stay so true to my Judaism. And I also feel a need to voice it or to give back with activism to community or, you know, I, I just, to me, it's a stabilizer and it's grounding. And I think... You know, whether it be modesty or my profession, whatever it may be, you know, where you were saying how not to be confined or feel like it's not doable. It, it I, I think we're looking at it the wrong way. If, you know, I've sat on so many panels and I'm asked that question. How is modesty not a detriment in the industry? How is Judaism not a detriment? And I, I look at people and I say detriment to you or me. To me, it's all perspective. I see huge empowerment. If I didn't, I wouldn't choose to be it. Why would I sign me and my son and my husband? Why would we all sign up for this very difficult life that didn't offer fulfillment and purpose and reward? And to me, it is hugely rewarding my Judaism. I think it's how people view empowerment. And I, I think that, you know, for some people, they look at empowerment and they think it means getting to the top of whatever that is, right? Whether it's a career or whether it's, you know, I don't know, an achievement of some sort. And for other empowerment means I'm going to be the face of this. I'm going to be out there. And for other people, and I think the way you view it, and I, I, I think it's the correct way to view it, empowerment is sort of living your life in the way that's meaningful to you, right? This is a, it's a personal journey or it's a communal journey. It's a family journey. And What's empowering to one person is not going to be for somebody else. I mean, it's the same concept of like, like just from an American perspective, you know, freedom, right? Freedom and liberties, the idea that, you know, you're able to chart your own course, you know, in your life. And if being, you know, adherent to a certain religion and modest and following those rules is someone's guiding light that is empowering, even if someone else might view it as a as almost oppressive. It's it's a really interesting thing, but people have to realize empowerment is a personal decision and it's not a judgment on somebody else. Right. Exactly. It's it's completely personal. And you know, in my work with as a as cre- with creative direction and strategy with brands, I, I can't tell me how many very successful people 
I meet or I work with that are hugely successful to the outside world. But for some reason, they're wanting someone to come in and shake up their their work and their strategy and their impact on community because they're not fulfilled. And I think you can align. I'm all about, you know, success. If you want to get somewhere and you know where you need to be, if you break it down, you can be there. Practice makes pattern. Pattern creates impact. I mean, you, I, I'm, I'm such a believer in you can do what you want to do as a human, but you have to know where you want to be and you have to be willing to do the work. And so what I've seen in working with, you know, like I said, from the outside world, very successful individuals is that if they're not fulfilled by the, or feeling like they are accomplishing purpose, whatever that means, or they're aligned in their creative, their work, their spiritual, whatever it is, even if they become, like you said, the face of that, or even if they make all that money or whatever it may be, it's not always, it's usually not enough. They want to feel fulfilled in a positive way as a human. And I can't stress the importance, you know, to, yes, it's so great and it's so necessary. And I think it, you know, hugely empowering to know where you want to be and to whatever in your mind is successful, but don't negate the fact that you as a human, how you feel, what you lean into that, you know, if you, if you align that with your hustle and your grind, you can accomplish something that's not only hugely successful, but hugely fulfilling. And I think that's the, to me, that's ultimate empowerment. I want it all. Yeah. And I think that also this idea that since you have such a value on, you know, your own personal journey and how you view empowerment, I think it, it seems to me that it's probably the reason that you, as you said before, you love humans, that you're so comfortable, you know, uh, collaborating with and interacting with and working with and, you know, being around people from really all different walks of life because you're able to see and help them on their own individual journeys and you're not trying to put yours onto theirs. Right. Probably. I don't need to be the focus. In fact, I'm happiest and most fulfilled behind the scenes, knowing the impact I'm creating, knowing in different ways I'm influencing an industry to be where I believe and I know it should be. And at least in my path. And, you know, I, I, I think, sadly, I always write on my Instagram and I'm a big um, advocate of stronger together. And I think people, if, if they realized how much power comes in partnership, collaboration, community, it, I mean, it's a game changer to stand on your own and to feel threatened by others or to feel like lending something to someone else would take away from you or anything like that is just foolish and a waste of time. If you're really wanting to play in the big leagues, I just think you have to know where you want to be. I think, you know, how, you know, for me, my goal is not to have a million followers on Instagram. I rarely even post, you know, most people don't know what I do. I, I don't talk about my clients. I don't like my stuff. My, my life is my life. And for me, that works for other people. They do it their way and that works. But I, I just feel like for me, I do it my way. And at the end of the day, I come home happy. And for a while, when I think I started my blog and it, things came at me really fast, I was offered a reality TV show. I was offered book deals. I was offered at a young age, a lot of very big opportunities. And I did not take them. I remember the president of IMG, Ivan Bart 
called me and and I met with him in his office and he's like, you know, where do you want to be? And he's like, you know, what did you want to accomplish with this blog or with this or that? And I was just like, I just wanted to share my thoughts, you know, like right. I, there was no <laughs> preconceived. I had no idea all this was going to blow up. Like this was just me sharing my craft and my heart. And, and I think in some ways, you know, young Adi wanting to create a community that was like-minded to her because when I first got into fashion, I, you know, I do just by nature think differently. Like you said, does your story impact how you view things based, you know, rather than a traditional community member? Yes, of course it does. My treatment by the Jewish community impacts how my interact as a convert, even, you know, with the Jewish community. And I didn't know a lot of religious women that were doing what I was doing at a young age. And I wasn't going to walk away because I felt I was succeeding. I knew I was. And I, I felt valued in it. And I also just felt it was naturally something I was really great at. And that was fulfilling. So I think I, with my blog and with kind of opening up, I mean, I could name like, when I started, there weren't really many modest designers. Most of these girls that have brands now I worked with, I took their clothing, I wore it to fashion week, I got it photographed. I'd make sure it was in Vogue or whatever. They got to tag it. They got the articles. I, I mean, we played a really good game and we made it happen. And it wasn't by chance. The brands that are in existence now, like it's like we made the Jewish community have a space in the fashion scene. And we used all the tools each of us had to do it. And and I think I created that community because I needed that community. And now it is a vibrant part. And there are, you know, lots of typical fashion influencers from the, the religious world. And it's it's become obviously with, you know, digital and the growth of all that as well. It's it's now a whole new platform industry community. When I started, there wasn't anyone in the space. I didn't know other religious people doing what I was doing at all. Right. I, I want to go back to something you said before because it, it it struck something. I want to ask you about that. It might seem like a a strange pivot, but you were talking about this idea of, you know, letting people be individuals and working with them and, you know, and, and it's all good. And I was just struck immediately because this is going on in the news right now. What are your thoughts on all this canceling of stuff, cancel culture and all this? Because it, it just sounded to me like you were speaking almost directly to that, even though you weren't. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, I think cancel culture, like any at inception, like any disruption, I think it's a way to hold people accountable from a group of people that don't maybe have the voice. As in, if somebody did something originally cancel culture, you know, I mean, what it is now is not what I'm talking about. Originally, right. it's the public can call into track a celebrity that maybe did something, said something, lied about something and say, listen, we're not a power, but we are the community and we can boycott you. We can rally we can we can demand justice even though we're not in a place of political power or social power I, and and i'm i'm a fan of that i think everybody should have a voice i think again stronger together right but what i think we've seen in the last year particularly and what it's spun into is something that is just crucifying society i mean it, we literally are just burning each other at the stake so I think people either are ultra aggressive with cancellations, which I think, you know, who are we to judge? If someone does something across the board wrong, that is, you know, societal, outside of the societal norm of acceptance, then yeah, you can call that out. But when you have a media that's biased, when you have big tech that's biased, openly biased, unregulated at this point, and 
it's not an honest fight right now. You know, people, people are suffering without a voice. And we've just seen, I, we've just seen in the last year, what I think has been hugely unintegral, especially as a journalist, you know, what's going on in the media and, and cancel culture has just become, I think, a way of bullying, you know, to like, it's, it's, it's a power game and it's a way to keep people quiet. And I know so many influencers who won't stand up and say anything about, because they're scared of getting canceled and they make their money from their posts and their clothing or, you know, whatever they do. And, you know, collaboration partnership and, or designers I work with that won't, won't take a stand, but they feel really passionately about things that are going on in different, you know, capacities that aren't right, but there's no space for that. And they're too scared because of this, you know, this narrative that's been created that's being kind of, I guess, empowered by certain groups that it's it's crazy to me, the cancel culture. I think it's like we all are entitled. And I actually had a coffee with with a friend this morning who's a very talented chef um, and I love her dearly. But we, we were talking about this and she stays very unpolitical and I, I, I don't get really political either. But we were just saying cancel culture is like, like, who are we to judge? When did we become a nation or a community of people that weren't allowed to have our own mindset, that weren't allowed to question, that weren't allowed to, God forbid, make a mistake, you know? And my question, I posted on canceling months ago, and my question was, you know, okay, cancel culture, but where's the rule book? And can we uncancel the canceled? And how much work do they have to do to be reaccepted? And when do we slander? And when do we, like, it, to me, it, it, it felt out of whack this whole year, that everything was, there's no rhyme or reason. I have a huge issue with social media at this point. I have a huge issue with big tech, with the monopoly on Instagram and Facebook and all of that. I think it's a joke. I think Google, I think Twitter, I think we're not even being shown half the information we should see. So it's not even like it's so biased. We don't even know the difference, you know, and that's scary to me. I think the scariest thing that came out of this past year was knowing that someone else is in control of the information we are being given. And that when you go on Google and type in a question, you're being given the information you can sort through. So what am I not being given? What am I not aware of? It's more the editing out I'm worried about than what I'm being given. So, uh, you know, I think for me, Instagram right now is hard and I, I don't I haven't been posting as much. And it's a huge tool and a gift. And I, I, I hope I don't feel like I feel for too much longer. But, you know, I think we 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 shouldn't be so silent to be controlled by people we know don't necessarily have our best interest in heart. You're a consumer on Instagram. And I think, you know, I, I spoke about this years ago, just as an influencer on, on influencer panels to people saying, you know, this is a consumer driven market. It was created after gambling. It, in, it induces, you know, a reaction the same as drugs. Like, you, the most important influence, your influencer status rises if you can keep more people clicking because then they can be shown more ads and retargeted. And data is the most expensive commodity in the world at this point. And, you know, and I, I think on the flip side of that, we create these echo chambers affirming our beliefs by creating our own accounts, following people that are like minded. And it's just to me, it's a whole web that's just scary because we're closing ourselves off to possibility and to information and to just having like our asses kicked by something that blows our mind or something that makes us rethink and question something we're 
accepting and living our life by. And I think that's essential to humans that we have those considerations constantly throwing it thrown at us. And I think when you're sitting and scrolling, there's a million reasons when you're not why you're not having any of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know what you said is really true. That on the one hand, there's this this noble concept of, hey, you know, we, you know, we're the consumers. People have to be accountable for their actions, for what they say. And so, someone gets up and does something or says something that's horrific. It's totally fine to say, hey, like that's disgusting. You're insulting me and my community and my family. In this, and I'm not gonna stand for it. Like I'm not going to, you know, purchase your product. I'm not going to see your movie, whatever it is. And I think, all right, fine. Like that's great. Like that's, that's a, you know, people protest and that's a beautiful thing. That's American concept. But I think it's sort of, you know, it can obviously be taken too far. And I think a lot of people believe it has been taken too far that if, you know, you start going into people's past and things they said 10 years ago that, you know, at a different time, different place, or when they were young and stupid and, you know, all of us have done dumb things in our lives and said dumb things. And then it's like, you know, we're going to bring it out and we're going to out somebody or this idea that like, oh, there's something in this, you know, book or movie that I don't like. So we're never going to show it anymore. And it's it's like weird. I don't know. I mean, it's I, I understand if like if I was going to come into someone's living room and say, hey, I'm going to read this book and you better listen to me. All right, fine. Kick me out. You don't want to hear the book. It offends you. But like otherwise, like what do you care if I read it to my kid a thousand miles away? It's like so strange that everyone's so, you know, so invested in what everyone else is doing and thinking and saying. Well, exactly. It's a, it, it feels like a control effort. I mean, you can spend any narratives to support your mission. What I am questioning is why, why are we allowing people to, to storytell and create this narrative where they can cancel people when honestly the people that it originally started with aren't even involved in this. Most of us are just silent because like it's it's it like you said it's it seems not to be the same thing of what cancel culture originated with it's now trying to like create a narrative or storytell with something that may or may not be there but it it should be everybody's choice you can bring it to attention but i don't think you can force people i mean I, it's interesting cuz i i always heard you know stories about the holocaust and i learned the history of it and i i for years, people would say, you know, the Holocaust can happen. You have to be so careful. And I just didn't see the Holocaust happening again. I didn't see it. I was like, I don't think it could happen in America because A, B, and C. And it until this past year where you start seeing things like this, and it's like, wow, people, people can change narratives. People can... People of power can start canceling other, other smaller people. Like, it just felt... It felt like, wow, I see how bias can be created. I see how people can be pinned against each other. I see how leaders can do this. And when you have control of information partnered with that, it's a very scary situation for people. And we, the average person, you know, it's, it's sad. It's just, it's very sad. I think it's sad and it's concern concerning. And I think everybody wants to go back to normal life. But I think what we've seen this year has taught us invaluable lessons that are tremendously positive and beneficial. And it's also taught us, you know, some pitfalls we have in industry or society, whatever it is that that we as people, I think, need to get together and, and more united on making sure we create a world that we want to be in and we feel safe in. Because I don't think anybody feels like that now. And it's, it's just the Wild West. I mean, it's one day a politician's God and the next day he's getting canceled. And I think everybody just feels like, wow, what is he doing that the media is not hiding that? But what is that person doing that the media is not 
showing that like it's all a game and it's not really involving the people it's kind of what we're being given but it's affecting the leadership and the the laws being made that uh, that is going to affect us as americans every day you know so it's like what I think there has to be more accountability. And I, I talk to a lot of people who just want to return to this normal. And I'm like, normal got us here. I don't think, you know, we want, yes, a return to comfort maybe or to the, you know, seeing friends and having the typical, you know, interactions in life that we have. But I don't think to return to what we had was working because it got us here. So let's rethink. And I, I, I just, I don't know. It, it like, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. You know, I have a I have issues with it, but I don't know what the answer is because it seems like most people just talk about it and not much is done. Well, I, I don't think there's one answer to it. I think these are big cultural shifts and it requires a lot of time to go and, you know, out of it. But I do think that sort of the the messages that you're giving is just on an individual level. It's this idea of not being afraid to build communities and work with others and you know, to try to bring people into your circle rather than to push them out of your circle and to step into other circles and to just have these connections with other people who are different from you. And then you essentially get to see them as humans and as real people with thoughts and feelings and strengths and weaknesses like like we all have ourselves. And I think when people just retract into their own, it becomes problematic because you don't know anything about the other. You said to not be afraid of that. I think quite the opposite. I think we should be inspired and motivated to create community like that. Because I'm in. I agree. We're social beings. I mean, we need tribes. That's just in our DNA. I mean, you're 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 a physician. You know, you know, like that is our science. We should not be isolated. I think I think we shouldn't see each other as a threat if our ideals different or if we are in the same industry, you know, whether it's sameness or differences, whatever it is, I think we should see huge empowerment. Again, we're back in empowerment, but I think we should see empowerment in the things that make us us, make us who we are and want to create powerful communities around that. Not powerful in the sense of controls, powerful in the sense of energy, powerful in the sense of positivity, connection, collaboration, innovation. How do you think industries shift? How do you think ideas happen? People get together who believe and then they materialize and they actualize. And that's the beauty of humans. We have like infinite capacity for that. And two heads are better than one. And I just, you know, I know because I can make a really good living behind the scenes, helping people be the best them. (laughs) So I know two heads are better than one. Who are your role models? I think I'm influenced by a diversity of people, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, my role models in terms of, you know, I think life and like just being really content and grounded and hard work and kind of away from the noise definitely goes back to my childhood and, you know, my grandparents, my great grandparents, like just that working the land, I think animals, all of that to me is hugely grounding. It's a huge part of who I am, probably the core of who I am. But I think the people that that are brave enough to make positive change in different capacities stand out as role models to me. And it, no, no matter the space or industry or anything, I think anybody who's willing to be of service to community or to be a free thinker to help others, I, I, I also am very tied to that. My work 
a positive impact. And to me, time helping another individual outside of a professional capacity is always time well spent. Um, I think we, we need to be givers. And I think I've seen people change as humans because you authentically value and love them and believe in them. And, you know, so I think I, I do a lot of work in the community. I think that, so I, you know, I think in different capacities, I think certain thinkers, free thinkers, I, you know, honestly, I don't have that many role models, but I have influences. Did you ever imagine that you would have such a huge following that you have so many people who look to you? No, I still don't know why people follow me. I never even post on Instagram. I, I rarely even post. I think kudos to them. Wow, I must be stuck on their feet or something. Like, no, you know, I'm not, I don't follow many people. I just never have been super into social media. I think maybe because I got into it early and I knew the facade of it. I knew the consumer driven data behind it. That was always how I saw it. I never come, came on just to take a pretty picture. That was, mine was always, I already had a blog and a business that leapt onto it. And I was helping other influencers who wrote for my blog, grow their following, lead them in art direction. So for me, it was always a curation. It was the same thing as working on a magazine, you know, spread. Right. So I don't, I don't look at it and think, oh my God, I want that. Like I, I look at that and I think, wow, nobody realizes it, but I know what partnership she's going to be coming out with in a week like I can tell already how she's changing her direction like that's how I see it I see it very strategically so unless it's a beautiful image or something artistic and emotional that touches me I follow like cute dog accounts and stuff like I'm an, I'm like an animal nut so I, I don't know you know my son it's funny because not one of my siblings is on Instagram which mm. is very interesting they're not on any social media and they're all like successful normal humans and none of them are active on any of it they have accounts, but they never go on. And it's it's very interesting. I Maybe because how we were raised, I didn't grow up watching television as a child either. So I don't know. Interesting. But I, um, I, I'm flattered that people follow me. And I am jumping back in um, to some personal projects because I think our, I just think our community is amazing. And I think the people, whether the influencers or the, you know, the leaders itself or in different cities and across the world, Israel, you know, we still have a, a ways to go in building out the community, whether it be from an industry standpoint or even as a, just an empowerment standpoint. Um, the fact I'm still getting the same questions I got 10 years ago tells me I'm not conveying the message loud enough for those that want to hear it because they're asking the questions. I'm pregnant right now. I'm having a baby pretty soon, and I'm really stepping back. It's actually my last work, week of work, and I'm shifting next week to really focus on some personal projects that are focused on a community and putting my energy there because I think we need it. I think the world needs it. In general, we all need to be putting our energy back into community and rebuilding and, um, you know, encouragement and support. So I'm excited to do that. I, I, I'm, I'm excited to kind of get back in that scene. And I think fashion and all of that is always going to be part of my narrative. And, um, you know, I, I love it. I don't define myself by my work in fashion or the brand I'm wearing, but I also don't shy away from taking ownership of that space and um, respect for my industry and for luxury fashion and the aspiration of it all. There's, you know, it's a lot of value there. So I wanted to close by asking one last thing and that through all of your, you know, your fame and you're using all of this, you know, to promote a lot of amazing causes and what you're doing, but on a personal level, how do you view your own, like, how do you stay, you know, grounded in your family? And also, what is your view on, like, overall wellness as an individual, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally? Because you're you're doing a lot. You're kind of out there in a sense. But you're also, you know, very much 
you know, in your home and you're in your own life. And how, it's not, I'm not asking about balance, but how do you even view wellness overall in terms of your own and your goals and what you're trying to accomplish personally in your own space? Well, I think wellness is, you know, a very personal, individualized thing. It's become very commercialized, but I think, you know, for me, I listen to my intuition and that guides my journey in wellness. I think we have to actively play a role in being the best version of ourselves because I think we are all spread thin. We're all doing a lot. I happen to have a lot of energy by nature. I happen to love working. For me, it's like, I, I love working. I love the things I do, or again, I wouldn't be doing them. I would shift my profession. I don't want to be an influencer, so I'm not. I do other things. It's, you know, I don't feel caged by much, but I think wellness is listening to yourself. I think if we all could slow a bit, and this year has been, I think that for a lot of people in a lot of capacities, you know what you need. And I think wellness is hugely important. I think our practices daily are hugely important. Like I said, you know, practice makes pattern. Pattern creates the fibers of who we are. You know, the little actions every day are who we are every week and every month and what we show up for. And to stand accountable to those is just very important. You know, I think it's not to be taken lightly how we treat each other, how we treat our spouses, you know, as a mother, like we need to be modeling ourselves, I believe, after the people we want others to be. And if, I don't know, you know, I want to be the best person in myself. I want to suck every, every incredible energy out of life and live it. And life is so short. And so that to me with wellness is, you know, I have spoken before to life coaches. I do, I mean, I'm pregnant, so it's different, but I am very, I'm a runner. Like I, I'm very into running and, you know, things that find me focused. My family is hugely important to me and grounded. Like my, my son and my husband and I'm having another boy. <laughs> so my, I'm a mom of boys, but my boys, they are, they are my home. And I, how do I, how do I create that priority? By placing priority there and by choosing that and you know you said oh instagram i'm not on that much because i don't want my son on technology that much now when i'm at work i'm on tech all day you know but it's like for me wellness is what makes you feel well in your life and and you know i think we have so many options nowadays we need to silence we need to hone we need to pinpoint what practices can we do that create a positive perspective or, you know, we, I recently was reading a lot about like, you know, we're a very results driven society, but if we could just fall in love with the process of getting there and value that journey, because that journey is actually life for most people. Most people don't achieve what they want in a few years. You know, it's usually that is the journey. We need to learn to stop knowing where we want to be and validating ourselves by that and the drudging through the work that actually accomplishes that. Like, why not celebrate that journey? And I, I think that is about perspective because work isn't always fun and work isn't always easy and life isn't always fun or easy. And, you know, you know, you said dressing modestly or eating kosher, all of that comes with dictates or constraints. It doesn't mean because something is challenging that it can't be hugely positive in your life. That's how I feel. So I think wellness is, you know, finding like what in your life, what practices keep you focused, what personally, what, and I think 
people need to get outside of books, get outside of internet and podcasts and all this, which are invaluable, but they need to be around other humans. Community is huge. Surround yourself with people that inspire you. Surround yourself with people that make you want to level up every day. Surround yourself with people that believe in you. That will change your world. You know, people who are surrounded by others that don't align with their value set, it's, 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 I mean, not if, if there are people in your life that are important, don't get rid of them. But I'm just saying, understand that's not going to build a certain area of you. You know, I feel like it's sometimes when wives are like upset at husbands because they're like, well, you didn't know I wanted this. But like, how would they? Like, they're very different people unless you and your husband are super similar. And like, you know, like you said, I don't know fashion. Like, I think we have unrealistic expectations of other people sometimes. But, but like, evaluate who you're dealing with in the situation. And when it comes to, individuality which i've found is let go of the people that that aren't that aren't like filling your cup you know like you want to surround yourself with positive influences or it doesn't need to be same-minded i'm actually against that i think you need diversity within thought but i think people that believe yeah, it's values having having similar values is not the same thing you you can listen you can have someone who's you know, politically right wing, politically left wing, religiously right wing, religiously left wing. But if, the, but you could have a similar value system, and you could have you have shared values. You don't have to have you don't have, to have similar ideas of how to reach those values. But if you have similar values, you definitely have room um, uh, to communicate. And I think that communication is key because I think we've seen this year, like it, we got to get out, we've got to reconnect, we've got to get out of our heads. You know, like it's not. I just don't think. I don't think we were meant to self-isolate and to cancel into all of this stuff so frequently. This doesn't seem normal, you know, normal in context, but yeah. I'm just saying, so for me, community is huge. And I know, I mean, you know, I'm sure you, you have a good conversation with someone and you have a coffee or you see someone that blows your mind or you hear a speech, like it's different than just having in your earphones on the subway, which there's huge value in that. But the human connectivity and the energy there and what can come from that. And I, I, some of my biggest, my best work has been from experiences like that or my aha moments, you know, have come in where I'm just like, shit, I don't know anything. I need to go work on myself. I need to be quiet. I need to figure this out. You know, it's like those to me are the times that are most valuable. And the people that can do that in a way that is kind and compassionate and respectful but also push you and believe and know you're you want more or you could do more and let you have that. I think like those are my people, you know? Yeah. Listen, I agree. Any, anyone who made it through an hour of us talking on their earphones, <laughs> put them down. We're finishing. Go find a human. Interact. Have a coffee with someone. Don't just listen to us. And this yours. was like very nonlinear. I was expecting like a buy like this. I feel like we were very um just like riffing it. <laughs> I'm, I am. I am completely nonlinear. I am. I'm crooked. Totally crooked. So that's me. It's uh. Well, I think your <laughs> podcast is fantastic. And oh, I you're sweet. Thank research. you. <laughs> and I think keep doing what you're doing because you're you're giving energy to a space. I I think our New York community, I think our Jewish community, I think even medical community. I think in so many ways you're hitting the mark and doing something special. So thank you for having me on, and um, I it's been a pleasure, and I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www. Dot healthfulwoman.com 
That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.